All right, good morning again, everybody. Glad you guys are here this morning. We are on our uh, third week that we're doing of a series here called Unleashed. And so I'll start out this morning with a couple of different uh, kind of stories to get us going, to get us thinking. The first one uh, is it comes from a time back in 1956, yes, a long time ago. A guy by the name of Lauren Cunningham was a 23-year-old student touring the Bahamas with a singing group. One night he got into bed, he doubled over his pillow behind his head the way he always did. He opened up his Bible and he, he asked a question that he routinely kind of uh, started to ask, uh, just saying, God, would you speak to me? God, would you, would you meet me? Would you direct me? Would you use me for your glory and for your purposes? But what happened next was far from routine for him. He says, he says this, suddenly I was looking at a map of the world, he says. Only the map seemed to be alive and moving. Lauren shook his head. He started rubbing his eyes as if so he'd step through the doorway in the crazy land or something, right? He said, the waves, be, he's like, in the midst of it, he's, I saw these waves sort of taking over. They're crashing onto the shores until they eventually covered the entire, you know, all the continents. Lauren saw this. Uh, suddenly he said, I saw the waves become young people, kids my age and even younger, covering the continents. He saw this army of young people standing on street corners, outside of bars, going house to house, preaching the gospel. The Lord wasn't sure exactly what this vision meant, but it, in time, it would become the largest missionary setting organization in the world. It's called Youth with a Mission. Some of you have heard of it. Nearly half a century later, there are more than 18,000 YWAM staff members and missionaries in 1,100 ministry locations in more than 180 countries around the world, including Jen Wamsley, some of you might remember, uh, who was sent out from our church and is serving on staff with YWAM on another basis. I, I read this and I think of this and I say, man, what a, what a cool story. Yeah, there he is, Warren Cunningham, yeah. founder of YWAM. And I, I think, man, is it possible that this is not the exception, but maybe more normal. Is it possible that the living God is still speaking, still giving dreams, still nudging us, ordinary people like you and people like me, nudging us to go out and to be missionaries, to live on mission with God? Is it possible that he's nudging us to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth, in our lives, in our worlds? Could he still be doing that today? Another, another story. <clears throat> a little bit more normal. One evening, a guy by the name of Sam left a Bible study group uh, where he was learning about listening to God. Convinced that if he would listen to God, that God would speak to him. Uh, he, he got in his car and he said, okay, God, I mean, is there anything you want to say to me? He started driving down the road and he had the most bizarre sort of nudge where he's like, I felt like God wanted me to pull over and buy a gallon of milk. Uh, convenience store. He's like, what's particularly weird about this is I'm lactose intolerant. He's like, I don't drink milk. He's like, he's like well, we're, you know, we're trying to put this into practice. We're trying to practice acting on these properties from God. And so he pulls in the nearest gas station. He buys a gallon of milk, puts it back in the car. He's like, well, now what, God? I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Where, where am I going? And so he started driving home. But on the way home, he had another sort of weird sense. He's like, am I going crazy or what is going on? A weird sense that he should not, he should turn in a way that takes him further and further away from the house and more and more in the direction of the worst part of town. And so he's driving down this road like, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, but I really want to be open to God. I really want to be in, in step with him. So I'm going to go anyway. So he keeps going. Finally, he, he's like, it's the weirdest thing. He's driving down. He's like, I felt like I need to stop at that particular house. And so he pulls over in front of that house. 
And again, not the best part of town. He starts, he's like, I'm supposed to take the milk up there, I think. I'm, he's like, I'm not sure. But again, he's like, I can get shot. I'd be like, what is going to go on? This is not safe. This is not normal. I don't know what we're doing. But he's like, at that moment, I just had a real sense of like the peace of God sort of wash over me just as a way of him saying, you know, just trust me and just do what I'm asking you to do. All right, if you want your people thinking, you know, I'm crazy, you know, that's, that's what I see. He takes a gallon of milk, he walks up to the door, he's just about ready to knock on the door, and the door opens, and there's a young man standing out front, and he says, or standing there in the doorway, he says to the guy out front, he says, uh, who are you? You know, like, what is this about? And he's like, you know what, this is going to sound crazy. He's like, but I had just this really strong impression, like God wanted me to buy you guys a gallon of milk. <laughs> you know, like shame, right? Looking down, trying uh, not to make eye contact. And uh, the young man replied, well, that's not ridiculous at all. He's like, you see, my wife and I were just praying for, for food for our baby. We ran out of milk two days ago, and God said that he'd provide. And it was just then we got done praying that he, we heard a car pull up outside. Tim gave the milk to the young man and went on his way, praising God and uh, thankful that he was willing to follow and obey the promptings and the leadings of the Spirit. What if God is still speaking like that? What if God wants to move his kingdom forward by his Spirit and he wants to do it through you? Are you listening? Are you open? Are you willing to take to take some risks, to take some steps of faith as he prompts you, as he leads you, as he directs you as the way to say, God, I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done here in my life, here in my world, here in my city, here in my family, here in my neighborhood. Are you willing to take the steps to say, God, I'll follow you. I'll follow where you lead Just last week, uh, we shared a video, we'll share another, another one today, but we shared a video of uh, one of the young women in our church, Molly, uh, kind of one of her kingdom dreams that God's been kind of speaking to her about. And she talked about wanting to have a, uh, um, a, a chair, a haircut chair, right? In, in downtown Peoria, someplace where she could do uh, haircuts and, and stuff for people, maybe they can't afford one, people that are homeless or people that are in need or just uh, things are running a little tight, maybe getting them ready for a job interview or who knows what. And uh, pretty cool story. We got through the service and, and partway through the service, God tapped somebody in our church on the shoulder and said, you know what, I want you to go fund that for them uh, to make that, turn that dream into reality. And uh, and so they handed me a check. And uh, I, mean, I just think that's cool. We, in our family, we have a, a, a saying that we say sometimes, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. Have you heard me say that before? <laughs> if it's God's will, it's God's bill. And, and the thing is, it's true. If there is a God that's big enough to tap somebody on the shoulder, to whisper in their ear and say, hey, I'm calling you to follow me on a kingdom dream, a kingdom adventure, because I want to I want to see my kingdom come and my will be done in your city. If he's big enough to do that to somebody, you know, he's big enough to provide for that dream. He's big enough to turn those dreams into reality. Like I said, we are on our third week of a series that we're doing called Unleashed. Releasing the kingdom dream in you. And we're spending the month of January, the first week of February, challenging all of us to live our lives for the kingdom of God. To use our time, our talents, and our treasure in ways that advance God's purposes. In ways that move his plans forward in our lives, in our homes, in our community, and in our world. And we're being challenged to actually put this stuff into practice in some very practical ways. 
few weeks ago, we, we kicked off the series. We talked about, first of all, uh, about um, unleashing God in our finances and unleashing our finances for his kingdom. And we talked about this practically by starting to tithe. We had a challenge. So would you be willing to do that for the next week or for the next month to take 10% of whatever God uh, entrusts into your care and to give it back to him as a way to keep um, keep him first as a way to say, Jesus, I need you in my finances as a way to say, I want to use my resources for your kingdom and for your pre and for uh, your purposes. We said that uh, anytime we put his will in, into practice like that, it brings honor to him. It brings blessing. It's a good thing. Last week, we talked about kind of taking it to the next step. We talked about living for God's kingdom and what that actually means and looks like in our lives. We talked about praying and looking for opportunities to see his kingdom come and his will be done in our world and in our lives. We said anytime we put his will into practice in our lives, we are living in his kingdom. And today I want us to take kind of the next step after that and we're going to talk about learning and discerning what God's dream is for you. And so that's what, that's what we're going to camp out today. We're going to learn about it from a, a story, a true story, an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples and uh, 5,000 of their closest friends. And so we're going to we're gonna pick up the story here in Matthew 14. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up or you can follow along on the screens or in the, the Ignite Church app. It's all in there. You know, before we kind of dive in, I just, I'll just say this. People don't think of Jesus this way. But Jesus was probably the best and the most intentional leader that ever existed, right? He didn't do anything on accident. He, there was nothing that wasn't on purpose for him. And so uh, this, the passage that we're going to study today, I want us to, to kind of take a look because Jesus, part of what we're going to see is Jesus' process for multiplying his ministry, for multiplying his mission through his disciples. In just three years, Jesus transformed and empowered a ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors and sinners. And he transformed them into a missionary force this world has never seen the equal to, right? Where we, just, just a mere three years later, he sends them out to turn the world right side up to bring the kingdom of God in a very real and a very tangible way to bust into our world and the world's never been the same since. I mean, he empowered them, he led them, he put kingdom dreams in them and then started unlocking them by his spirit, by his leading, by his prompting. And millions and billions of people over the next 2,000 years, including us, our eternities have been impacted because they lived those kingdom dreams out because they followed him. On mission. And so I just, as we walk through this passage, we're going to take it a chunk at a time today. I just want us to kind of look at the process that Jesus used and some of the lessons of how, uh, how to discern and how to live out God's dream for you and God's dream for me. Make sense? That's kind of where we're going. Matthew 14, we'll start with verse 13. It says this. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, and a little backstory here, but John the Baptist uh, had been beheaded by Herod. Okay, bad era, uh, kind of a bad king, bad dude, right? So he, he'd been, this is Jesus' cousin and his friend, John the Baptist, so he'd been killed. So when Jesus heard about this, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot uh, from the towns. Verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the village and buy themselves some food. All right, so let me pause right there. 
Here's the picture. Of course, Jesus is upset over the murder of his cousin and his friend, John the Baptist. So he gets in a boat. He wants to go off and be by himself. But the people follow him, right? They, they, want, they want to hear more from him. They want Jesus to do more for them. They want him to heal them and meet their needs. And remarkably, Jesus does, right? He has compassion on them. And so he heals and he teaches and he ministers. He spends time with them for hours and hours and hours. And at some point here, Jesus followers, the disciples, they start kind of checking their watches. Their, their stomachs are kind of rumbling a little bit. They're getting hungry. And they're like, man, it's getting later and later. And Jesus is just ministering and ministering. And he's teaching and teaching. And at some point, the disciples are like, enough. Do you not understand what's happening here, Jesus? There are 5,000 men plus women and children, the passage says. So probably more, right? More like 10,000. There's a whole huge crowd. There's a whole city out here, and they've been listening, and they've been ministering, but they're getting hungry. And we're about half an hour away from them getting hangry, right? I mean, this is going to be a thing, right? Can you, can you imagine 5,000, 10,000 people whose blood sugars have dropped? They're starting to get a little snippy. They're feeling hungry, right? I mean, something's it's about to you know, come down, right? This is going to be a thing. And so they're like, you know, here. We've got to take action. So they're, they're looking, they're assessing the situation, and they're saying, man, we've got to take action. Send them away. Send them away. Let them go on their own. They can go by McDonald's, get the drive through lane. It'll be fine. Get, get some food. They can get some food. They can, they can head out. you got to take care of it now because if, if you wait any longer, I mean, people are going to be, there's going to be rioting. There's going to be, I mean, people are going to pass out on the way from exhaustion. you just got to take care of them, Jesus. And this is interesting. It's the first place I kind of want us to, to, to dive in a little bit. Because sometimes I think discerning God's kingdom dream for you is as simple as paying attention to the needs and paying attention to the circumstances around you and just having compassion, just being moved to action. That's the first thing I just want us to zero in on here. Next slide. See, there it is. <laughs> Discerning God's dream, right? Sometimes it's as simple as just paying attention to the circumstances around you and being moved with compassion. The disciples don't even know it yet, but the circumstances that they, that they notice, these people are hungry, they say. It's the first part of God nudging them to do something. God's, that, that's, it's the first step of God tapping them on the shoulder and saying, you know what? Maybe you should do something about it. Maybe, maybe you should move to action in this. It's part of God's kingdom dream that he's placed inside of them. The people are hungry. They should be fed. Exactly. Sometimes it's just the sheer circumstance that we notice that God has opened our eyes to certain realities around us. The realization that something isn't right. And the, the will and the compassion in our own hearts to want to do something about it. That action-oriented heart that says, let me do something about it. That might be God trying to bring his kingdom to earth through you. It really could be that simple. It could be as simple as saying, man, I've got some friends and their marriage is a wreck. And more than anything else, I want to see healing come to their lives. It's noticing that that could be God, sort of the first steps of God nudging you and saying, well, maybe you should pray for them. Maybe you should take care of them. Maybe you should help them go to a conference. Maybe you should help them just by listening or loving on them or whatever. Or maybe you've got a friend or a family member or somebody that's an addict or that's an alcoholic or something. And just more than anything else, you long for them to be free. Even that sheer act that you can see what's happening, that could be God tapping you on the shoulder saying that this is an opportunity 
for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. Maybe there's some part of it there that God's going to nudge you to say, why don't you get involved? Why don't you help? Why don't you be a part of the solution? It could be anything. But sometimes, maybe even most of the time, when our eyes are open and we can see the circumstances, we see a need, and there's injustice or there's something is not right in the world, that could be God nudging you say, man, I want you to do something about it. Melissa uh, led a growth group uh, here this fall called uh, Holy Discontent, and it's, it's a great book, it's a great, it was a good study, that kind of thing. But there's a topic in there that the author talks about quite a bit, and uh, he calls it his whole, the holy discontent. He says, sometimes God puts a stirring in us that just drives us crazy. It could be a passion or an injustice or just a strong desire to see something in our world change. He calls that a holy discontent. And to be honest, we see that throughout the pages of God's book as well. We see it through the Bible. You see it all over the place. David, for instance watched Goliath come out day in and day out and taunted God's people. He even mocked God himself. And finally, it just sort of fills David up and he can't stand it anymore. And he's sort of like, you know, somebody ought to do something. Nehemiah is, heard about the destruction of Jerusalem and just, I mean, the, the way the temple was in shambles, the people were in exile, the gates had been burned to the ground. Israel, for all practical purposes, was no more. When Nehemiah hears this, first of all, he's cut to the heart. He weeps, he fasts, he prays, and then he gets up. And he says, you know what? Somebody ought to do something. This is not right. Somebody ought to do something. And you want to know what, what God did next? God tapped him in the shoulder and said, you're right. Somebody should do something. You know who that somebody is? It's him. You know, I'm amazed. I'm a pastor, and so people, anytime they get ministry ideas or ministry dreams or have any good ideas, they always bring it to me, and I always think it's fascinating because they, they walk into my office, and they sit down, and they'll talk about it. They're all, like, they're really good ideas, really good dreams, and they'll come in, and they'll, they'll speak passionately about it. There's all this, this whole group of people out there, and they're struggling, and they're like sheep without a shepherd, and they're whatever. I mean, they're addicted, or they're whatever their marriages are falling. They'll all they'll speak with passion and they'll say somebody ought to do something and they're looking at me like that somebody should be me right and i'll be like you know what i agree with you right I, somebody should do something but is it possible that god has put that passion in your heart that he has opened your eyes to that that he's, he's put compassion in your soul for this so that you could go and live out the kingdom of god jesus was not trying to do everything himself right he wasn't now, he's got more than enough power, but he's empowering his disciples to go out filled with his power in, in the flow of his spirit and minister on his behalf and take, take the kingdom of God with them wherever they went. That's what he's trying to do here. Sometimes the things that our eyes have been open to, the circumstances that exist around, sometimes that's God saying, you know what? You should do something about that. Maybe I put that in your heart intentionally and on purpose. In the book, uh, uh, the author said, he refers to uh, the great theologian Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> and he says, there's this phrase that gets used in that way old cartoon. When Popeye gets to the end of his rope and when things are not as they should be, he'd say, and he'd say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Right? That's what he'd say. He'd say that over. And then he'd eat the spinach. Right? Muscles would come out. Have you ever seen forearms like that? I'm just saying, Shazam. But, but, 
But like, and, and he would go to town, he'd be called to action at that point. And I think that's kind of the heart of what we're getting at here. That's the heart of a holy discontent. Sometimes God lets it bother us in our soul. Like something is not right. I can't stand to sit by anymore. Guy by the name of Bob Pierce, I think I've shared this maybe once before, but founder of an organization called World Vision has fed millions of hungry kids around the world. Uh, amazing ministry that they have. But it all began when Pierce made a trip to China to do an evangelistic crusade a long time ago. That they saw thousands of people come to Christ during this four months of evangelistic work that they did there. But something there caught his attention. Something that he did not expect and it just wrecked him. I mean, hunger was everywhere. He watched and he would talk to little kids that would come up to him, literally starving to death. Well, Compassionate Pierce was hooked. His daughter said this. He said, she said, my father went to China, a young man in search of adventure. He came home a man on a mission. And he was. Pierce later wrote these haunting words in the, the flyleaf of his Bible. He said, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Man. If you and I would pray that, I wonder what God would, God, would you wreck me over things that cause the cup that wrecks you? Would you, would you open my eyes to see the things in this world, to see the things in my home, to see the things in, on my campus, to see the things in my life, in my workplace, whatever? Would you open my eyes? Would you break my heart over the things that break your heart? And would you send me out to live in your kingdom and for your kingdom wherever I am? It was his moment where he, he said, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. I wonder what it is that God's breaking your heart over. I wonder if there are circumstances that are all, all around you that you just can't stand. I mean, it doesn't have to be a global movement like World Vision. Maybe it's just serving and reaching out to one family or one person for now. It could be somebody that's around you and they're hurting or they're struggling or they're floundering and you notice you've seen their circumstances and you just can't stand by and watch them suffer anymore. It could be decisions they're making in their lives and you just care too much to see them continue down this self uh destructive path that they're on. It could be uh, marriages that are around you that are just disintegrating for years and you can't stand it anymore. It could be families that are falling apart or parents and kid relationships or fatherless homes. It could be uh, stuff that's abuse kind of stuff that's happening in homes. It could be teenage moms or dads. It could be people struggling with drugs or alcohol or porn addictions or whatever. And it just burns inside of you. You can't you can't push it down anymore. You don't want to medicate it. You don't want to ignore it. Maybe it's maybe that's God speaking to you. That passion, that discontent, very well may be God calling you to bring a kingdom dream to fruition. So the first step, the disciples notice the circumstances and they're moved to compassion. People are hungry. And then Jesus says something that gets really disturbing. <laughs> just takes them right outside of their comfort zone. Because they come to Jesus and they say, boy, somebody's got to feed these people. You should send them away. And Jesus says this. Go to the next one if you can. Jesus says, uh, they don't need to go away. Why don't you give them something to eat? <laughs> right? Why don't you give them something to eat? Now, again, this is just disturbing words. There's a very specific sense of call. 
where Jesus taps them on the shoulder and says, no, here's the thing. I, the need is legit. The, your concern is legitimate. And I think you ought to do something about it. Why don't you take action on that? Now, does that feel like a safe, comfortable little request from Jesus? <laughs> They're like, holy crap, I can't do that. Like, are you kidding me? This is insane. But Jesus says, you give them something to eat. I'll tell you what, you do not have to follow Jesus very long before the Holy Spirit starts prompting you and, and, and calling you to things that are way outside of your comfort zone. You're like, holy cow, I'm not sure I want to take that step, right? Like, whoa. But Jesus calls anyways, he's called, I, I want you to take action on this. I want you to do something. I want you to live for my kingdom and in my kingdom as you go. Your kingdom come. May your will be done. You feed them. You give them something. You take care of their needs. I can't imagine, but disciples are probably looking at each other going, talking to me? <laughs> like, are, you, are you talking to me? Like, I, there's no way, Jesus. How many people are out there? There's thousands and thousands of people. There's no way we can feed all of those people with Gospel of John says eight months' wages wouldn't even be enough for each one to, to have a little bite of bread. <clears throat> the truth is, for any of us that are Christ followers, God is going to do that in your life again and again and again. If he hasn't yet, you better buckle up your seatbelt because it's coming. Because God is constantly trying to move us into the realm of faith, out past our comfort zones, into the area where the kingdom of God exists, where his will is done, where life change is normal where transformation happens where we can see and know his power and his presence in amazing kinds of ways it could be that you're a mom and you're hanging out in a library or school or a park and all of a sudden you start noticing all these other moms that are around you and they're lonely and they're stressed out of their minds and they're desperately in need of encouragement and friendship and wisdom and hope and strength are seeing their need for God and for a relationship with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus might look to you and say, you know what? You feed them. You give them something to eat. Or maybe you just love students or you just love kids and you long for them to thrive and you're thinking to yourself, man, I hope, I hope that these kids or these uh, high school or middle school or college students, I hope that there's somebody there directing them so they don't make the same mistakes that I made. Right? I, I hope I mean, man, I just really hope that there's something, and it could be that in the midst of you seeing that, God starts tapping on your shoulder and saying, you give him something. It's time for you to get into the game, right? I'm calling you to make a difference. It could be a neighbor. It could be a roommate. It could be who knows what's going through a rough time. Maybe they're struggling emotionally. Maybe they're struggling financially, whatever. I mean, could be anything. And maybe God's going to say in the midst of that, he's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, you know what? You give him something to eat. Maybe physically. You know, maybe really give him something to eat. Maybe better for him. Would you get involved? Would, would you live your life in such a way that when I call, that you would live for my kingdom and not your own? Right? For my purposes and not just your own. I know it's not safe. I know it's not... It, I know it's not in your little safety bubble, but to be honest, friends, if, God, if we don't sense periodically... God calling us outside of our comfort zone into the realm of faith. I'm not so sure we're following Jesus. Because that's what he does. You read through the, the pages of the New Testament. That's what you see again and again and again and again. Jesus, Jesus looks at Simon Peter uh, and says, uh, why don't you come to me on the water? <laughs> what? Walk on the water like Jesus? It can't be done. Come on. 
me. Go ahead. I got you. Right? Walk to me. Come to me. See what I'm saying? Like, Jesus calls us into the realm of faith again and again and again. What if God doesn't really want us to be passive? Again, I'm not so sure that God shows us stuff like this for no reason so, or so that we can go and tell somebody else what their ministry should be, what they should be doing. What if God shows us this stuff so that we can feed them with his help? So that we'll step out in faith and follow his lead? What if in the midst of noticing needs, what if Jesus is whispering to you by his spirit that you can do something? You take it out. You minister to them. Friends, I really believe that God's calling. Are you listening? Are you open? As you and I start opening ourselves up to God, as we start growing with him, as we start reading his book and praying and drawing close to him, his spirit will start speaking to us. He'll open our eyes. He'll nudge us. He'll prompt us to jump in and do something. Feed the poor, welcome the stranger, encourage and love on the broken or the hurting or the lonely. And when he does that, would you do it? Anytime you have a prompting like that, anytime you and I have a prompting that encourages us, to, encourages us to do something that lines up with the truth of God's word, my question always is, why wouldn't we do it? Right? Like, I'll give you, a, I mean, I'm getting kind of similar kind of situations, but is God in favor of us taking care of the poor, for instance? I mean, he talks about it over and over and over and over throughout the pages of his book. It's a no-brainer. We should be doing it anyway. We don't need a specific call for that. So if you're walking down the road and you see somebody, a homeless guy or something, and you have a little prompting or a little voice in the back of your head saying, hey, you should, you should help them. You should take them out to lunch. You should whatever. There's a cool video. Gosh, I'm getting off topic. But cool videos. Did you see this around Christmas time? Where somebody, what's that new Amazon thing that they'll deliver it like right in town? That day, remember this? Have you guys seen this? What is it? Prime Now. Prime Now? Yeah, that's what it is. Amazon Prime Now, they'll deliver it like in stock the same day. This guy was going around to homeless people on the streets. Did you see this? And there's videos out there. You should look it up. It's totally cool. But anyway, and he was just, he's going up to homeless people and saying, man, is there something I can do to serve you? And a lot of the people were saying, I can use some socks. I mean, it's cold. You know, so I can use some socks and shoes. And so he'd go on, he'd order it. He'd say, out in front of this building on the corner of this street and this street, could you deliver to a homeless guy named Jim? And they, then they had a camera here or something around the, around the block. That, were, that would film them getting them. It was so cool, but maybe God's gonna prompt you to do something. Go to the store and get something for me, come back, right? And now, a lot of us don't live lives with margin enough that we can do that. But what if, what if that's the most important stuff? What if that is God's kingdom coming into this world? It's not just our own, you know, I'm gonna do this, 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 so I can get home and watch a couple hours of Amazon Prime you know, video myself. You know, what if, what if God would interrupt that to see his kingdom come in some powerful ways? Wouldn't that be awesome? I love that. All right, it's getting quiet here. But what if God shows you that stuff? What if he's constantly directing and speaking and nudging? Read, read through the book of Acts sometime and look at the ways that the Holy Spirit is continuing to nudge and to speak and to move and to work. And then ask yourself, is that same spirit still working today? The answer is yes. The gospel was only being shared in Asia at one point. The Holy Spirit shows up and prompts them and says, you know what? I had, I had a vision. I had a dream that this, the gospel needed to go to Europe as well. And so the church responds and goes. 
right? Uh, I can keep going, but I better not go get over my time. But anyway, I just what if God is still prompting you like that? What if He's still speaking? If it lines up with His word, why not do it? Why not train ourselves to put those nudges into practice? If it's as stupid as buying a gallon of milk and and delivering it someplace, what's the worst that could happen? Somebody will think this crazy fruit bat of a person brought me a gallon of milk. Is that the worst thing that could happen? Probably, right? But what's, what's, what's the worst that could happen? And what's the upside? You need to be a part of seeing the kingdom of God, God's kingdom come and his will done in your life and in somebody else's life. The kingdom of God just broke into our world and he did it through you. Who would want to live this way? It's the best way to live. All right, I should keep going. Third one, third lesson here as we keep moving is uh, courage for the crisis. This is just a freebie, but most often, again, when God calls us into something, he asks us to take the plunge. It's outside of our comfort zone. It's a faith step. Matthew 14, verse 17 says this. I mean, this is the, the disciples' response. They say, well, we only have, when Jesus says, why don't you give them something to eat, right? The, the disciples say, well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, right? That's all we got. We don't have enough is what their answer is. But Jesus, your plan is not going to work. It's not a very good plan. Don't mean to say that. I know you're the savior of the world, creator, all that kind of thing. It's not a very good plan. We didn't break provision for 5,000 people. What's wrong with you, Jesus? Right? Why, why? We can't do it. We can't do it. We don't have the resources. We don't have the food. The question that, again, I ask myself as I look at this passage, do you think Jesus was just completely oblivious to all that? Do you think he was unaware? Do you think he thought, oh, man, I bet they've got uh, food for 5,000 in their pockets? Is that what he was thinking? Did he know that they didn't have provision enough? Did he know that on their own they were unable to meet the needs of five or 10,000 people? Yeah. yeah, of course he knew that. He's Jesus, right? Of course he did. Maybe that's the point. Maybe it is precisely the fact that they are unprepared. Maybe it's precisely because they don't have the resources. Maybe that's exactly why Jesus steps up and says, why don't you give them something? Because Jesus isn't really in the glory, in the, uh, the glory sharing business. He's not really in the business of helping everybody see how wonderful and how all sufficient you are. But he wants you and the world to see how all sufficient and powerful and awesome he is. Right? We might not have the resources, but he owns everything there is. Right? He is able to take what is given and to multiply it to feed. 10,000 and then some. Here's the deal. Not only did Jesus not know that they couldn't feed 5,000, it was precisely for that reason that he called them to it. He's trying to show the world how great he is, his power. And like I said before, if, if we aren't sensing that he's calling us into a realm of faith, into a realm where we need courage for the crisis that's in front of us, I'm not 100% sure it's from God. Following the kingdom dream in you, it'll require us Courage it'll require us to man up at certain points, to sort of to sort of feel the fear, swallow it, and trust God and step out anyway. Okay, God, I don't I might be an idiot, but I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it with your help. Fourth thing is this. Commit what you have and let God do the rest, right? Commit what you have and let him do the rest. This is great. 
just what Jesus says to do in, in verse 18. Uh, they, they say, he says, you give them something to eat. They say, we only have five, five loaves of bread and a couple small fish. We don't really have enough. He says, okay, that's fine. Bring them here to me. Bring me your lunch. Bring, bring to me what you have. And I think he does that all the time to us as well. We might be like, Jesus, I'm a new believer. I don't really know the Bible that well. I, I'm not sure what I can do. And he's like, yeah, bring that to me. But Jesus, I don't really know how to help hurting people. He's like, I know. I want you to bring, bring, bring me what you have. Bring that to me. But Jesus, I'm the new person in the neighborhood. How can I reach my neighbors? I know. Bring that to me. But Jesus, I'm not good at talking to them. Bring that to me. God, I have so much sin and brokenness and junk in my past. And even that, Jesus, bring that to me. Let me use it for my purposes. Let me use it to advance my kingdom. Let me use that to, to show and to illustrate my glory. Because it's not about you. He knew all that stuff before he called you. That's not even the question. The only question of significance is, will you follow when he calls? Will you follow? Will you go there when he calls? Will you commit what you have, all that you are, and say, God, I am insufficient, but you are sufficient, and so I'm all in, I'll follow. You can have my little lunch, you can have my five loaves and two fish. Friends, it's when we do that that we get to see and be a part of God's kingdom coming, the power of people seeing the power and the glory and the goodness of Jesus, because he takes those and he multiplies. And verse 19 goes on the rest of the story. And Jesus directed the people uh, to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave it to his disciples, and the disciples in turn gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 5,000 men besides women and children. I mean, Jesus is able to take whatever we have, whatever we are, limitation, warts and all. He's able to take regular, ordinary people like us and use us for his purposes. To use us to bring his kingdom to come and his will to be done in power. It doesn't say in this gospel account, but in another gospel account, it says there's a kid that had the five loaves and the two fish. Right? Becomes kind of the, the unofficial hero of the story. Jesus, of course, is the hero of the story because five loaves and two fish wasn't going to do it, right? But, but Jesus multiplied. But, but this kid got to use his bread and his fish simply because he brought them to Jesus, simply because he surrendered them, he offered them to Jesus, and Jesus did with, with what he had amazing things. And I just wonder if sometimes God isn't just saying that to us too. If Jesus can take small lunch and multiply it to feed 5,000 plus women and children and able to, to feed them in such a way that everybody was full. They picked up 12 huge basketfuls of leftovers. I wonder what he could do with you and with me. When you and I commit our money, when you and I commit our time, when you and I commit our gifts, when you and I commit our lives to God, when we open up and say, God, I want to live all in for your kingdom. Would you use me for your purposes? Imagine what he could do with you. He took 11 disciples and turned the world upside down. Imagine what he could do with you. Imagine the plans that he has put inside of you for his purpose. He'll bring his kingdom from up here to down there as we live, as we, as we offer all that we are to God. 
as we're willing to step out in faith and follow him on adventure when he calls. As we open our eyes, even pray for him to open our eyes, he brings his kingdom to come and his will to be done down here the way it is in heaven. If you've been around at all, you know that we've been doing this kingdom experiment uh, for the last few weeks. We're doing it throughout the month of January and the first week of February. We're going to do this church-wide challenge to try and encourage all of us to actually put God first, to actually seek first his kingdom. And we're doing that in a number of ways. The, kind of the first step that we talked about the first week is by, by committing to, uh, to bring our tithes and offerings to God by saying, God, I want to put you first. I want to bring the first 10% of whatever you provide for me. I'm going to bring it back to you as an offering, as a, as a sacrifice, as a tithe. And if tithe is said means literally 10%. It's a Hebrew word. It means literally 10%. And, uh, and so it's pretty it's pretty easy math. You move move it to a decimal point, right? So if God gives me $100, how much do I bring back? Ten. If he brings me $1,000, 10000 I'm praying for $100,000. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, right, it's, it's, it's pretty easy math. We're saying, what if all of us live this way? And by the way, I, I wrote this down earlier. I can't even remember. I threw it in the word for some place. But it's pretty cool. We've, a bunch of us have taken the challenge. Like there's 30 some uh, families that have taken the challenge. 31 uh, so far that have taken the challenge and have signed their names on a card and have started giving in connection. We've got a bunch more that haven't signed the card, but are um, but are following through on that, living that way. And I just have to say, way to go. If you are not yet on board with it, I encourage you to give it a try. It's just it's a, it's an experiment. It's a, what if what God says is true? What if he's able to take care of us financially? What if he's able to do more with 90% than we could ever do with 100%? He promises to pour out blessing and provision and care and love and stuff as we, uh, as we put him first. So we're, we're, we're challenging you to do that. But that's not even the most fun part, right? That's, that's cool. But the, kind of the, the second part of this is as a church then, uh, we're going to take uh, of the resources that come in, we're going to take half of them. We'll use them for just regular operational stuff because the ministry still has to run. We still have bills to pay and that kind of stuff. But the rest of it, we're going to divide up into two categories. The first one is what we call a safety net. <laughs> That's just, I think sometimes fear is what keeps us from actually tithing, from actually putting God first in our finances. And so we said, well, hey, what if we'll, we, we'll hold back 25% of what comes in for a month or two. And if you try this tithing challenge and you put God first, and you get to the end of the month and you're like, man, I just, I, we're, we're not going to make it. We just can't pay all the bills that are before us. We said, you know, we'd love to help. We'll use that money for that. That's what we're intentionally, we're putting this aside and saying, you know what? I, I think that'd be great. Now, uh, again, uh, I mean, do I think that God will be involved when we start putting him first? Will he honor that? Yeah, I think he will. But there's still extreme circumstances. There's still things that come up where somebody's like, I can't pay any electric bill or I can't pay the whatever. You know what? Uh, that is us, an opportunity for us to be the church and for us to live in as part of the kingdom of God together as well. So we'd love to help you with that. We'd love to. And I'll say it today. I'll say it next few weeks. But like, and if that's you, I don't want you, this isn't a pride thing. You don't have to be ashamed or a picture. Why don't you just send me an email, shoot me a text or grab me after service. Let me know if there's a need going on. We'd love to come alongside and help. Okay. But what we're going to do with the other 25% and actually anything is Anything that's left over from the safety net, plus the other 25%, we're calling it the underground. It stands for the underground church. The underground church is you, right? It's where you live. It's where you operate. We're saying, what if, for during this period, during this month, what if all of us started dreaming and opening our eyes and praying, God, what kind of kingdom dream have you put inside of me? How do you want to use me for your purposes? What, what is there around me that you say, I, I you know, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more, right? What, what is there that, what is the, the discontent that you put inside of me that you're calling me 
to step into and to make a difference for your glory, for your purpose. It might not be safe. It might not. It might feel scary. Let's identify that and let's let's uh, let's take a step. Let's put it into practice. That's what this form is for. That's what the other twenty-five percent plus leftovers from safety net is. We want to fund the kingdom dreams that live inside of you. And so this week, I want you to take. I put this under each program. I didn't, but somebody else did. But they put it under each program. I want you to, if you're ready, if you know the dream, if you know God's tapping you on the shoulder, or when He's opened your eyes to see. I want you to start filling it out. If, if you don't know yet, I want you to stick, like, to stick this in your Bible. Put it on your mirror next to your bed. Put it someplace you'll see it in your car. You can tape it to the rearview mirror if you want. I don't care. But someplace that you'll see it again and again and again. And start praying and start looking and start saying, God, what's the kingdom dream you have in me speak for your service? Listen, would you lead me and guide me so that I can see your kingdom coming and will be done through me? I'm in. I don't have much. But my five loaves and two fish, I'm all in. I'm yours. Use me. Use my life. Use my resources for your kingdom purposes. We've been giving examples every week, right? It could be who knows what. You might have a heart for a, a, a local school that's under-resourced. Maybe God's going to prompt you to do something there. I, we were talking to one teacher not long ago, and uh, they were saying uh, that they actually have a washing machine and stuff at school because they have kids that come that have basically one set of clothes and they're filthy. They don't, they don't get washed at home. Maybe there's something we can do there. Maybe there's something you can do there. Maybe there's kids that are going home that don't have food for the weekends. Maybe God's going to prompt you there. Maybe, again, maybe there's a certain people group or a certain opportunity. One person that has a passion it feels like maybe God's calling them to, uh, to make a difference with, uh, with recovering people. Maybe God's going to prompt you to do something with that. I mean, all kinds of opportunities for God to use who you are, who, with the, the resources and, and the, the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have, he wants to use you to make a difference for some of you. I'll just watch a video now. Uh, we've got one more example I'm going to share with you. Somebody that loves Christmas and uh, feels like maybe God's prompting them and nudging them to, to use that human passion in a way that advances God's kingdom. Let's look play that video again. So I really love Christmas, and I've always really loved Christmas, but um, I also have a heart for giving and for people in need, and we had this idea to do like a Christmas store where people could, where we'd like collect toys and books and things that kids need, and then for like $5 or something, um, their parents could come and shop for them so they could get like a whole like Christmas, um, really cheap, so that they could provide Christmas for the family if they weren't able to. So when I first heard about it, I was like really excited immediately because Christmas is definitely like my favorite holiday. It's just my favorite time in general. So I was really excited and so far I've collected some toys and a whole bunch of wrapping supplies so that they can like wrap their gifts for their kids before they go home to the Christmas season. I hope that we can get like, a lot of support behind it because it, it's kind of a big project, but I think it could be really, really neat for our church and for our community. When I say it could be anything, could it be anything? Yeah. But wouldn't that be cool? I mean, imagine a hundred kids or a hundred whatever, like hundred families that maybe uh, maybe wouldn't be able to really have Christmas stuff 
uh, apart from the generosity of God's church. Maybe that's a way that the kingdom of God could come to downtown Peoria in power. Wouldn't that be fun? In fact, we, it's so fun that even a couple people that we've that have heard about it have already started buying things and bringing it in too. So maybe that's you. Maybe God will let you and say, you know what? Maybe you're going to come in with a whole, I don't know, big bag or pile or whatever of toys or wrapping paper or something and say, you know what? This is for that. I want to see. I want to see God's kingdom come in that way. But maybe there's something. Different. Maybe there's something specific in you. What's the kingdom dream that God is putting you? This is one of those things. I don't want us just to, to go home and be like, well, that's a good message. That's inspiring. That wouldn't that be fun? I want it, like I want us to put this into practice. Don't let the ball go by and don't not take a swing at it, right? I mean, this is this is the opportunity for you to take a step, for you to put this into practice, for you to take this seriously and say, God, what is it that you're asking me to do? Maybe it's a ministry thing like that. Maybe it's as simple as, as God saying, man, there's somebody over here that's isolated and alone. And I want you to have them over. I want you to befriend them. I want you to love one of them. And I want you to let them know that I love them. They are loved. They matter. Right? I mean, it doesn't matter. But God, in what way do you want to see your kingdom come and your will done through me? Would you take that seriously? I want all of us to take this thing and to really be processing and praying and trying to figure out what he's asking of us. And then when you do that, fill out as much detail as you can. You can throw in the offering basket. There's one of these electronically on our app, if you'd rather do that. The Unite Church app, you can click on that and, and send it to us. But drop it off at the office, throw in the offering bucket, whatever, let us know. We're going to sift through these over the next few weeks. And, uh, and then we're going to set up uh, times to meet with you. And we're going to try and fund as many of these ministry dreams as we can. Those need funding anyway. And uh, I, I just think that's something cool. It's, something, it's also really important to have sort of a church sort of just say, you know, we agree. I mean, we see the dream, we hear this dream, and I think it's God just to have that kind of confirmation on us and then to have the resources released. What a cool thing. Isn't that cool? We're going to have a lot of fun, and so I want you to participate. Would you open yourself up this week? Would you be looking for those opportunities? Would you be listening to the promptings of the Spirit? Would you be seeing what God's opening your eyes to, identifying them, and then let's, let's, uh, let's really... Live this stuff out that I've got to do something for us to be done.